Welcome and thank you for tuning in to episode six of Leadership Portraits featuring John Marr. That I always saw myself as a leader. Like I, I always felt that way, even in childhood, but I just didn't have it in me. This is the conversation made to inspire the leader in you. John is going to take a little bit of time to share with us some powerful truths about leadership and also a little bit of his own journey. So what, what was happening was throughout my life, I felt I was supposed to lead and I, I couldn't do it. When I would try, I would fumble and I couldn't do it. Since 2011, John has led what is called a microchurch by the name of the Green Tree, part of the network of microchurches known as the Hive Communities. Go to thehive.org for more information on that organization here in the Corvallis area. John is a true Renaissance man. He is the author of a new book called Little Yucca. Little Yucca is a barbarian boy who is banished from his tribe because he is different. Yet he and Squeak, his one-fanged saber-toothed tiger, are pulled into a desperate plan to save the world. So for more information on that, you can go to littleyucca.com. He is a songwriter, a musician, author of music videos, a videographer, more fine art than you can imagine. He is a woodworker. He is an app developer and currently works for Nike, as well as owns his own company doing app development. It was after becoming a Christian and being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then when you reach in and the Spirit's there when you're down, and the Spirit's there when you need wisdom, and the Spirit's there when you need insight or compassion, that's when I could rise to the task and actually be there for someone when they needed me, or have a word of wisdom when I needed it, or make a sound decision, or not let selfish ambition blur the lines between what, what's leadership and what's taking advantage of somebody. John is also a man of passionate viewpoints, as you will see. And I've been at war with ministries over this. <laughs> I've, had, I've had major arguments with people who create internships in order to get work done and then throw in little benefit Bible studies that they think are gonna bless people. I'm like, don't you dare do that. Either it's for the people and you love them, or it isn't. Wow. Don't play games with people's hearts. Mm -hmm. You're a shepherd of the sheep, don't eat the sheep. You may not agree with or understand all of John's points of view, but I just want to encourage you to have an open mind and an open heart and see what you can learn about leadership and what that might look like in your own life. So without any further ado, Let's jump into our conversation with John Marr. Three, two, one, zero, ignition, liftoff. Thank you, John, so much My pleasure. for taking some time with me today to talk about leadership and what your leadership journey has been like. Got our coffees here at your house in Philomath and sitting at your beautifully hand-designed wood table in your dining area living room. I think we're going to touch through lots of things in terms of leading ministries, leading Bible schools, mm -hmm. leading mission organizations mm -hmm. and internships, all the way through to, you know, you becoming an app, web app developer, or not web app, but an application developer. Mm -hmm. Um, self-employed and then also now working at Nike doing software development. I know that y you are uh, have, have a very full schedule. Four children? Four children. Four yeah. children. The cup with the mama. The cup with the mama? That would be John's youngest daughter, Faith, who has Down syndrome. 
Yeah. Do you want a popsicle? No. You don't want a popsicle? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. We're back in the office though, okay? Faith is a real testimony to John and Giselle, his wife, to their convictions about life and family in that you actually hear Faith's voice here. Actually, about 90% of babies that are diagnosed with Down syndrome in utero are aborted. But here was Faith getting her popsicle, taking a nap, playing with her iPad. And it was really lovely to see her and John interacting with each other. Oh, you're cute, Faith. No. Yeah, you're a cutie. You grew up in Maine. Yes. Near Portland in a town called... Berwick. Berwick. And right on the border of New Hampshire. Your dad was a, vet, a veteran of the Vietnam War, mm -hmm. so kind of a military family setting. Mm -hmm. Your dad had a, had a really rough time in his own experience growing up in terms of his, his family background. Mm -hmm. Like you said, kind of more of a classic broken home. So there was kind of this strong military bent in our family, as my family growing up. My father had a bell on the wall that he'd ring if people wore hats in the house, you know, they would owe him a dollar or something like that. <laughs> when, I, when it was time for bed every night, we would, without exaggeration, we'd line up by the couch and then shake his hand to go to bed wow. and then give my mother a kiss. And he was a hardworking guy and a very, very generous guy. And I learned a lot of good attributes from him. Uh, but I was an artistic soul. As time went on, a rift kind of grew in the family because I was, you know, this really creative kid. I was a good-natured kid, but what my father wanted was uh, was very straight-laced. There was definitely a disconnect there. My my dad just felt that I was it was all dissipation and that I was wasting time and uh, I, that I could be doing things more valuable and. And the rift just grew worse and worse because he expected me to go into the military and I was trying to get into art school or even medical school. I'd been accepted to medical school. But I remember it got so bad that, and, and this is after all of the warfare had been happening with my dad and I had given in and I had decided I was gonna join the, the uh, army reserves. But my dad was a Marine and everybody was Marines. And so it just made it worse. The fact wow. that I was part-time military in the army Made him even angrier, even though I was trying to build a bridge. And, and it was that was a crazy bridge for me to build. I had no interest in going into the army at the time, but I was willing to do it to make peace, and it made more war. At a certain point, you found yourself actually homeless. Right, as so a, as so, a teenager. Right, so what happened was I went into the, the army reserves. It was only for the summer, you know, boot camp for the summer, and then I came home. And when I came home, I couldn't couldn't live at home. It wasn't my, my dad and I were at such odds. It was it was warfare. I couldn't be home anymore. So I moved to the city of Portland, and my life just tanked. Portland, Maine. Yeah, and I, and I just I had nowhere to go. I didn't have any connections. I ended up I was working the whole time, but I ended up living on the streets, and I had I had nowhere to go. I didn't have enough money. Even I'd go to the military, I was in the reserves, and so one weekend a month I'd have them pick me up at a certain telephone booth and I'd go right off to do the military for the weekend and come back and get dropped off at that telephone booth and go. I just lived in the streets through the through much of one, one of the winters there. It was very brutal, it was so cold. 
I would sleep in hotel bathrooms and I'd sleep behind 7-Eleven in a cardboard box. I went into a laundromat and I climbed in behind the dryers because it was so warm and I just laid down, squished in behind the washers and the dryers and slept there with my feet sticking out. Wow. But the owner came and woke me up an hour later and found me and kicked me out and was yelling at me and it was... And just one half hour away was my family and, and I never did call. And then what happened was the whole time I was working, I ended up working at Burger King. And I remember being 19 with all my friends in college. I decided, well, maybe I should join the Marine Corps then. And so I, I, I tested for the Marine Corps and they, uh, and they said, hey, we're going to, rather than being what you're going to be, which was an admin guy in the Marine Corps, we'll give you top secret clearance and you'll go learn languages and that sort of thing. And so hmm. that was a pretty major pivot from what I was doing at the time. I met a young lady, I was in language school, you know, that, that top secret stuff. I was in a place where they had men with rifles on buildings and if you ran, they would shoot you. And so that was the environment I was in. And there was a young lady in that environment also. And, uh, and she was a Linfield student and she and I fell in love. So when I got out, I went and I stayed with her and that's how I ended up in Oregon. Got in this rock band and, and we were actually pretty well known around McMinnville at the time. It was a band called Halcyon Days. And I was uh, I was really popular in the town, but I was a tragic wreck. You know, I was a mess. I was thinking at that time that I was gonna try to become a famous musician, but my own incapacity, my own brokenness was kind of caving in upon itself. And the more people admired me, the more broken I felt. I spiraled down to this point where God reached out to me and made himself real to me. And that's when everything changed and I became a Christian. On one hand, I'm struggling as a young, talented person where no one believes in me and no one's giving me a leg up and no one's reaching out to, to help me stoke the fires of what, what this gift is. And, and I'm, I'm feeling oppressed and abused everywhere I turn. You know, that the people I should be able to look up to, I can't look up to them. And, but at the same time, if I reach in myself, I don't have it either. Like I can't step up and become the leader I wish there was because it wasn't in me to do it. I didn't. So it was like this double whammy of there's no one to follow mm -hmm. and no one can follow me. And it was this just kind of a hopelessness. Mm. But then when God broke through and brought his truth into my life and suddenly there was someone to follow. And he was a good leader. It changed everything. You had this conversion moment and sort of little did you know that not only was that really the beginning of your walk with God, your relationship with Jesus, but really this, this was probably the birth also of you moving into different positions of leadership. Oh, it was exactly what happened. Yeah. And because I was the leader of my band. I mean, I had been a leader all well, that, this time. Well, that's what I was going to say. And I was a bad one. You know, I was stuck being a bad I couldn't be a good one. Because, as hard as I tried. Well, I mean, even you as a student, because of your giftedness as a senior class president. Um, I was the oldest brother. Yeah, oldest brother. I didn't do that very you know, well. Was, excellent marksman yeah. in the military. Yeah. Excellent drill, you know, creative. You get into language school. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these different things is just like screaming sort of like leadership, but it's just so interesting how I fumbled them all. Yeah. And you don't even necessarily see yourself as that because mm -hmm. of your identity or lack mm -hmm. of identity. Mm -hmm. To move us maybe more into what your leadership journey mm -hmm. specifically has been like, 
you got connected with this this Bible school in McMinnville, mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. called the Great Commission, Great Commission School. school. So this 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 school was really instrumental in terms of yeah, it took me through the whole Bible line whole, by line, verse by verse. Okay. Meanwhile, I was leading outreaches street preaching on Friday nights, you know, the, throughout the couple of years that I was there. So the, so the gospel at this point was just like just burning. fueling you yeah, towards yeah. To, to leadership yeah. and to reach into people's lives mm-hmm. and build relationships. So I was, I was going to the Bible school, got involved in a local church, got involved in serving in their youth group, went on one of their youth group mission trips, uh, and I, was, I became a leader on the mission trip. I wasn't intentionally trying to, it was just I was serving and I was loving and, and sold out and so it just started to kind of naturally happen. I wasn't trying to lead anyone, but but just my love for, well, people. I mean, I, I've really loved people, whether it's God put the love in my heart, however that worked, God orchestrated it that I just started to experience really low level entry kind of level leadership in Christianity. And I was still a young Christian. I mean, I couldn't have handled much leadership. But God was very ready to, to expand my horizons and to give me more to experience in leadership, even weak and broken, step up and rise to the occasion. I ended up on this mission trip where I experienced some of that. I loved it. And then I went into that mission internship down in Albuquerque, New Mexico. With, with a Calvary Chapel down there. Okay, and it was called Lifeline Missions. Right, with Skip Heinzig's church. Then you met your wife. She was an intern also, yeah. yeah as a, both fellow interns, mm-hmm. named, her name was Giselle. Yeah, even uh, before inter- we were married, we were leading. Yeah. Okay, you, so so you, I became the leader of the men's side, she became the leader of the ladies' side. And then even after you guys got married, you were still leading the internship yes, together. Yeah. And leading mission trips around the world. And yeah. you, you were like house parents. Right. And in, the, in this big house, you mm-hmm. guys had other interns in this uh, mission internship living with you. The school was closing up in McMinnville, and I didn't want it to. I thought it was, it was a good thing, and it had done a lot of service for people. So I decided to start... This was the Great Commission School. Right. And so we started an offshoot of it that we called the Brian School of the Bible. And we had, you know, we ran it for three or four or five years or something. I ran it for two or three myself, and then I handed it off to somebody else. But, uh, but uh, we were living parents. Giselle and I, we took no salary. We made no money. We lived on faith. You know, a couple hundred dollars a month is what we lived on. Um, we lived in a one bit, just a garage. My wife and I, she was pregnant and we had our first son and lived in a garage, basically a converted Gosh. garage with, with 10 other people in the house that we were responsible for. And we loved it. I mean, it was wonderful, but we met a lot of good friends, made a lot of good friends, a lot of po- powerful young Christian people that were hungry to grow and know God. And we were hungry to help them to, to attain that. Wow. Yeah. So we moved up there to, to be a part of that. Okay. You eventually became uh, a youth pastor in, mm-hmm. in the McMinnville area for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, seven. Yeah. Seven years. And so it was, f- you, at, the same, at that time you started doing app development yep. on the side. And then eventually when the time came where you felt like you were supposed to move from McMinnville down south to Corvallis with kind of a church planting, pastoral teaching emphasis, mm-hmm. you were still doing this on the side. 
also started working for Nike through just real favor kind of set of circumstances. They, they ended up pursuing you because of your talent. And so I think, um, and that sort of mm-hmm. kind of brings us up to the current season of your life. Mm-hmm. So like looking back over your journey, you, gosh, were involved in so many different things and pretty much leading along the way. And the original question was, have you, have you always seen yourself as a leader? And so basically your answer is yes, mm-hmm. but there's a qualifying element to this. And I've noticed you said a few times is that you've always seen yourself as a leader, but you didn't really have maybe the power to kind of step into what you saw and felt as was real leadership, perhaps because you, all of your examples had been pretty negative or in terms of bad leadership. So, so then your journey as a leader hasn't been as much, am I a leader? It's how do I lead mm-hmm. and what is a leader? What was that transition like from what you saw it as growing up to eventually becoming what you knew, always knew it was? So it seems to me that leadership activates and realizes, makes real the best common good. You know, that there's, there's, a, there's a... Wait, can you say that again? Leadership uh, act- actualizes or realizes, makes real, is what I mean, the, the best common good. Leadership makes real the best common good. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's what happens, that... that Leadership is the bridge between where we are and where we should be and at and, and, and all levels, whether it's emotional, psychological, if it's financial, if it's, you know, relational, all of that kind of stuff. There's the, like the idea that, that uh, you build your house on the rock. A wise man builds his house on his rock, on the rock. And when you do that, you have a house that stands and that's good leadership. And you've, you've created something that stands the test of time, mm. not building on a mudslide, you know, sliding <laughs> off in the, yes. sliding up in the head. Good leadership creates the best experience for the, and the, the best for the common good of, of people. And then it's a, it's a bridge from where you stand now to where, where you need to be and who you can be. Like you're, and and, and it's, it's the reason I say best common good is that we're a family of humans and whether or not we think of ourselves that way, we're the church for one, we're the body of Christ. So leadership isn't, we want to see people fulfilled and grow, but the idea isn't that leadership is me somehow experiencing my gifts and making waves in the world and mm-hmm. leaving a stamp because no one's going to remember us you know there's no that's not going to happen even people like Steve Jobs are going to they're going to fade so so the the idea that, that leadership isn't just making this impact it really is this sense of otherness and, and the sense of connectedness with with other people nice. and, and lifting people up in a way that they become beneficial to it's like like the covenant with Abraham right. Abraham I'm gonna bless you so that you can be a blessing leadership is a blessing that creates a blessing and that's the point It's the creation of a blessing for others it's the common good that's the focus I think what you said about recognizing where we're at and where we need to be so then your job as the leader is the person that is basically paving the ways, is, is seeing the vision and understanding how to implement that vision in a way that's able to take a group of people from point A 
mm-hmm. and get everybody over to point B, which I, at least ideally the vision is going to be that all of the people are benefiting growing and I, I like and they're healthy and happy along the way like exactly. the, the journey the itself journey is good is, too is good. the process yeah. and you, you kind of mentioned this good experience yeah. I, I, I like that idea so the, so to me that communicates that the journey itself is enjoyable mm-hmm. and that the end result is is better such that you know everybody on the other side looks back and is like wow that was amazing you mm-hmm. know, what we were able to accomplish together hope you're enjoying the conversation with John so far I'd like to pause and take a minute to reflect on some questions. John says, leadership makes real the best common good. So the question, is that true of my life? Is that my goal and my aim? Or do I really seek to use the people around me to further my own best interests? He said that leadership creates the best experience for the common good of people. What about you? How can you give somebody a leadership experience today? How can you create an amazing experience for the people that are in your sphere of influence? Even if it's just one, it's important for you to know that it's in you, that you can give someone else a great experience. What would be that experience? Who would be that person that you would target intentionally and say, you know what, I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to go the next level with this. And they may not realize what I'm doing, but I know that I'm intentionally creating an amazing experience for them to enjoy just for the sake of serving them and for them feeling loved and valued. Let's jump back in to our conversation with John. One thing I'm taking away from your story and how you see leadership today, and I kind of wrote this down as you were speaking, was that leadership isn't about making others like you, but making them more like themselves. Would you care to maybe elaborate on that kind of perspective that you have as a yeah, leader? Yeah, like, like I think of leadership kind of like this. Like if you could picture this, we've got a coffee cup here in front of me. It's an empty coffee cup. So a lot of people, you know, the idea is to, if this is a soul, it's to lift them up. So let's lift up this person. And this is leadership. You're going to lift up this person. And so people will, you know, do that and they'll lift them up. And that's leadership to them. So I have my hand over the lid of the cup. My fingers wrap down the sides of it and I'm picking it up and it's hovering over the table. And I pick it up higher, pick it up lower. You know, I'm lifting this coffee cup up. But what's happened is my hand is like this umbrella over the cup. And, and the cup is completely subservient to me. And, and, I, and I'm in complete control of this thing. And so at the wow. same time that I'm lifting it, I'm covering it and owning it. But leadership to me more is this. You put your hand out and you put the cup in your palm and you lift the cup up from underneath. And you're not controlling, you're not holding it. You're lifting it up as if to let it go, as if to set it free, as let, let it fly. I think that, that leadership is recognizing and calling out, the, or part of leadership is recognizing and calling out the good in someone, opening up opportunities for them where they can even fail and making room for them to there fail. There you go. And just, but, but you open up with an open hand and you lift up that thing expecting nothing in return. You, you don't have them in, as an intern in your ministry because you're trying to 
get work out of them and you're going to exchange that with little Bible studies and tell them, Ooh, you know, careful, John, you're going to cut too close to home for a lot of people listening to this <laughs> yeah, movie. That's exactly what people do. And I've been at war with ministries over this. <laughs> I've had, I've had major arguments with people who create internships in order to get work done and then throw in little benefit Bible studies that they think are going to bless people. I'm like, don't you dare do that. Either it's for the people and you love them or it isn't. Don't play games with people's hearts. Mm-hmm. You're a shepherd of the sheep. Don't eat the sheep. And so the idea is you have to be able to lift them up without desiring something in return. I mean, we got, I have all these scriptures here of what Paul said that, that uh, for instance, 1 Thessalonians, this is like a list when I was going through Bible school of all the things that spoke to me about, about leadership. He says things like uh, in 1 Thessalonians, this is only just 1 and 2 Thessalonians and a little bit from 2 Corinthians, but he says things like, you have known us and followed us and have become examples yourselves. We were gentle as a mother with you. We encouraged you as a father. You are our glory and joy. Our lives have meaning if your lives remain faithful in Christ. We rejoice for you and desire to see you not for gain, but to strengthen you more. We have no thought of personal gain and lifting you up into leadership. We don't have our hand over the cup pulling and gaining and growing in ourselves. We're lifting up with an open palm and lifting you up as high as we can, lifting you up to the heavens that you might stand on our shoulders and reach further than we ever dreamed. Nice. And go in the direction that God leads you and will help you get there and become who you're supposed to be. This is really big, 2 Corinthians 12, 14 and 15. Uh, I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for parents, but the parents for the children. And I will gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul is saying, look, and I had a big war in this with many discipleship things that I was involved in. They would have all these kids pay money to come to the discipleship and then work. You become part of the discipleship and get these little nuggets of along the way but really what was happening was they were building this ministry that belonged to someone else and it was it was the exact opposite of what paul did paul said i'm going to spend and be spent for you you're not going to spend and spent for me if i'm the parent in this relationship if i'm the leader in this relationship i'm going to lay my life down for you Mm -hmm. and what will happen is you will grow and you'll lay your life down for someone else not for me you're not going to give me your stuff paul says really clearly i'm not doing this for your stuff I'm doing this for you, for nice. you yourself. You go be you and let me breathe wind in your f- sails and fire in your engine. And you go be you and you touch the world with everything God's given you as I rejoice in, in, in being able to be a part of that. But but I'm not after, I'm not trying to control you. And that's a, to me, a big part of this idea of the common good and, and, and leadership and is that that, yeah, that you love freely and you lift up entirely and you lift up the whole person. You don't mm-hmm. lift up the part that you're trying to get out of them. Yes. You know, you lift yes. up, like like a big thing for me is, you know, if a young person wants to go to college, how can I help them? How can I help them get their application in? I'm not going to get anything out of that. I'm not trying to get them to join my ministry. It's their dream. Yeah, like who are they? Right. What good thing are they going to do in the world? Go do it. Yeah. Secular, holy, whatever it is. Go be what you've been built to be. And how can I stoke that fire in your heart to be that thing? If I take that leadership role, if I take this, if I ask this person to do this, 
I, I make sure that I'm not getting, I'm, I'm not, this, this isn't for me. This isn't secretly for me, but it's really for the common good. It's for their good. And, and, and that's like a, like a very deep uh, belief for me that I have to know. I have to know that when I reach out and give, that I'm giving with a pure heart. to kind of pause and, and just sort of say back to you some of the things I heard you say. What spurred this whole conversation was this sentence, leadership isn't about making others like you, but making them more like themselves. Your example with the coffee cup was that in both situations that you mentioned, like one where your hand was over it as like a ceiling kind of mm -hmm. on, on the exactly. And the other one, your hand was like a platform mm -hmm. that was, you know, open-handed and there's no limitations. Mm -hmm. In both situations, the, the cup is being lifted. Mm -hmm. So in both situations, the person, you know, if for example, the, the cup represents, has this experience of like being lifted up, being caught up into something and being, and, and it, but because of the leader's strength, it's the strength of the leader that lifts the person up. But what I'm seeing is like, you know, leadership is somewhat neutral in the sense that both the overhanded and then maybe we'll just use the underneath um, handed approach. So both situations give the person the experience of being lifted up by the strength of the leader. But does that person have the ability to grow beyond or just in a very different way, like they're surprising direction, a very yeah. a surprising yeah. direction that, you know, it's like the leader may not have ever thought, oh, this person's going to do this, but the leader, the good leadership in their life, because they're, they're the platform, they're the foundation, they're like a launching pad for that life to, you know, rocket off to whatever their personality and mm -hmm. gifts and calling mm -hmm. may, wherever they may take them mm -hmm. and, and, and develop them into. And so, um, versus maybe the, the bad overhanded leadership approach where it's just like, now that my hand is over this person's life, the best that they can become is like me. It's how, yeah, exactly. Very well that, said. That's, that's, yeah. that's, that's the I best. I wouldn't have said it that way, but that's exactly I, the heart of it. Yeah. I, that's, and that's tragic because I, I'm not like the I'm ultimate. their best good. I'm their, I'm their, like in the idea of the common good, I become that. But like, that's I'm a disaster. Their, yeah. Yep. I mean, if, if I'm ever leading in a position where my hand is over somebody's life, I think that's where people get really disillusioned. They get burnt mm -hmm. out. It's like... Oh, I you tried. Feel it. You feel that I feeling. tried that church. Yeah. I tried, you know, this internship. I tried that company. And I mean, I've heard it said before that people don't quit jobs; they quit management. Mm. You know. Oh, wow! Yeah. It's like I I don't want to quit an opportunity where mm -hmm. I have to grow, mm -hmm. but I do want to quit somebody whose hand is over my life. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and that's a huge message to me because it's like I don't ever want for me to be the best somebody can imagine for their life yeah. for my mm -hmm. life to be the best they can imagine for their life but mm -hmm. that they that my life would be under them in such a way where they're like they feel free to dream and envision and i'm right there with them like speaking up into their life pushing vision up into their life so that mm -hmm. they can like envision something that's fantastic and wild and amazing and, and mm -hmm. what they were made for you know and i might not even know what that is but if my goal is again, like our sentence, it's not about leadership isn't about making them like me. It's about mm -hmm. making them more like the authentic, mm -hmm. true version of themselves. Mm -hmm. 
that's that's huge. I'm I'm really glad that you shared that example, and I feel like that's really helpful for me, and I, I hope that's really beneficial for people listening. I'd like to to, to move on and maybe just ask two more questions, and they're somewhat related. Um, the first one is what do you feel like is the greatest risk you've taken as a leader? The most untalked about and unappreciated risk that I take as a leader uh, is that that I take as a father. Sometimes people spend their children on their own dreams. Ooh. You know, they, they take their kids. Can you say that again? I feel like sometimes people spend their children on their own dreams. It's powerful. They, they put their children away and they put a lollipop in their mouth and, you know, put an iPad in their hand and put them in the corner. I mean, even my own daughter right now is up in, well, she's taking a nap, but she has an iPad. And the, the, so it's a risk there. There's this danger that we can, we can put off the ones that are going to make the biggest impact in life to build ministries and to build reputations. And, 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 and that's one of the biggest risks I think people take and no one thinks about. But sometimes when we go a new direction and I'm involved in something that's gonna take this much time because I think I'm gonna impact the world in this, and yet this echo of my heartbeat, which is gonna go out and they're gonna have kids and they're gonna have kids and they're gonna have kids. There's gonna be a thousand of me walking on earth one day. The echo of my life through the lives of my children, through the lives of their children, and, and I think one of the biggest risks we often take is ignoring that, the gold of your own family, and the, 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 the incredible central importance of loving your own children and your own wife, and then from there, you know, giving to the world and loving the, the children that need to be loved that are outside of the home. Mm-hmm. So you're touching on something that is going to be an attention for all of us. Mm-hmm. We live in seasons However, a person might want to say this about their life. Maybe they feel a calling from God to be a certain place or mm-hmm. be in a certain position or with certain people for a season. And that means that following that is going to take those hours, those resources away from, you know, maybe your family, your wife, your kids, other close relationships. But because of that conviction, we feel like you know, I have to move in this direction, you know. And so, so what I'm hearing you say is there's a, there's a perceived risk for you that's like... Well, there's a real risk that people don't perceive, is what I mean to say. That, that sometimes... Now, I believe that the Lord does call us to challenging things, and sometimes that does take a family sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But what ought to happen, in my opinion, in that case, is that the family is aware of this, and the family is absorbing this, and the family knows this is happening. But that's not usually what happens. What happens is the person will chase their dream because it's personally fulfilling to them and kind of leave behind the ones that they have the the most charge over, the most sacred charge over. They take the time that belongs to their families and they spend it on dreams, Mm -hmm. which sometimes are even God-led. I mean, it's not to say that God says, stay home and don't do anything else unless you've got this little bit of extra time. It's not like that. But, but I think that it's an unspoken thing that happens where people spend their children and they spend their families for the sake of something that, in all honesty, years down the road, w- wouldn't, have, wouldn't have mattered if they hadn't yeah, done it. Yeah, it may, may or may yeah. not. You, you, yeah. And that's where the risk is. So I, one of the things I'm taking away from that, even just for me as you know, an aspiring father, 
how I express my leadership at home is by communicating vision, creating this environment where everybody's buying in to, hey, you know, dad is either going to be doing this thing and it's going to mean for a season that he's not as present with us or we're all going to go together and do this. I mean, either way, it's like you're you're getting the support and buy into the vision from your whole family. So it doesn't feel as much like, you know, dad values this other thing more than us or somehow we're being robbed and this thing is stealing dad away from us. But like we're blowing wind in his sails and we're like recognizing that Mm-hmm. things will look a little bit different, but we understand that and we're supportive anyway. It's one of the greatest risks, yeah. I think. I mean, spending somebody's money is one thing. Uh, people getting hurt, that's really big deal too. But we're aware of those. Like, those are risks we all manage and we, we're all... But I think that the one of the greatest risks that I see happening on an ongoing basis in my life is the lives of my children mm-hmm. and how, how am I parenting them. And I think it goes so far as to say this, and I think this is very, very challenging for us in the modern day, and I'm completely committed to this. How you lead at home is how you lead. If you want to see the measure of a man's leadership, look at his home. That's his real leadership. And when he goes off and does something great over here, that, that means nothing. If his wife is hating him being in ministry and his kids are falling into the cracks and because that, that's him building up a falsehood over here because it, the rubber meets the road in the family. But there, it does, like you're saying, it does happen. There are times of, there are seasons of intensity where this comes up and you've got this enact, it's a window of time and you feel God breathing upon you. So it's not like this rule where now you're in chains to your family because it's, it's, again, it'd be like my hand on the cup. There's a freedom and we get to be free, but it's just, all, I only say this to say that that's an important thing to manage, sure. the risk to be Absolutely. aware of. Because you can find yourself in a situation where your face is on a billboard and your kid's in prison, you know, (laughs) because you you got what you wanted and then you're going to realize that's not really what you wanted. You Mm -hmm. you wanted your son and now look at him. And I mean, this is this is a big, big idea, like what you just said. How a man leads at home is how he leads. Right, right. That's the truth of how he leads. That's where real sacrifice happens. You know, You you can manage financial risk. The upside is financial gain. You can manage health risks and adventure, but the upside is adventurous. Wow, get some really cool stories to share with people. Mm-hmm. Got some powerful money, got a powerful ministry, got a powerful presence. But what do you get when you sacrifice for your family? You get good kids, you know? And not every kid you sacrifice. I mean, everyone has to make choices. It's not like there's a, you do this and you get this. You know, mm-hmm. still everyone has free will, right? But that's why it's harder to manage that risk or to take it seriously because there's no upside, mm-hmm. you know, in the sense of your your dream gain. Mm-hmm. It's 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 sacrifice for kids and they go on to live. That's the ultimate. Put your hand under the cup and lift it up and you get nothing in return except the satisfaction of having given. What current obstacles are you facing in your leadership? I would say the biggest, the biggest thing that holds me back at any given time would be just self-control so that I do the good that I know to do. So you're, you're talking about personally within yourself? Yeah, that's the biggest obstruction that I find. So it's internal, not external. Yeah, because the external ones, you, you can overcome them. You know, the, someone has a bad attitude, you can, you can get past it. Someone, someone passes you up at work for the promotion, you know, whatever. 
you, you, money, all those sorts of things. You know, they, they, they're kind of whimsical. It comes and goes. You can. Mm. I don't really think of those obstacles as, as lasting or, or anything. Whereas I always have to deal with who I am. Wherever <laughs> I go, yes, there I am. You know, but I would say chiefly that would probably be the one obstruction I look at. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with me and share your story. And I'm I feel really personally encouraged um, by our time today. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. Like I, I might say one last thing is that kind of if you could sum it all up. Yes. Don't eat the sheep. That's, you know, when you lead, when you love and lead the sheep, don't eat them. Yeah. Whether, whatever it is, you don't, you don't use people for your advantage. Cool. Thanks, John. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, John has certainly given us a lot to think about and process, a lot of big ideas about leadership. Some of the takeaways that he gave us, uh, how a person leads at home is how they lead. So can't make really a distinction between I could be one person at home and another person at work or at school or wherever I may be influencing other people. No, no, no. Who you are at home when you're comfortable and your guard is down is who you are and how you lead in that environment is how you will really lead in every other situation. John says either you love people or you don't. Again, very black and white. So the question I guess to take away from that is in all of our leadership positions, are we really loving people or are we not? Maybe there's not really as much of a gray area there as we thought that there once was. And I'm really thankful for John's analogy of the cup. So for the people that you're influencing, the people that you're investing in, is your hand over their life like a ceiling? Or is your hand underneath their life lifting them up like a platform or a launching pad? John also said that leadership is a blessing that creates a blessing. And that's the point, the creation of a blessing for others. It's the common good, that's the focus. The people around you should be blessed and benefiting from your leadership in their lives. Thank you so much for listening. I would really appreciate it if you would help me get this podcast episode into the hands of other people who this would really benefit, but yet may not have any other opportunity to be exposed to this content unless you share it with them. Also, you can find uh, this podcast on iTunes, and if you could rate and review this, it would make it easier for other people on a leadership journey to find and benefit from as well. Also, feel free to send me some feedback, comments, let me know what you liked, uh, any suggestions that you'd have for changes in the future, or other people you think that I should feature on this podcast so that we could all learn together from them. Well, until next time, may the leader in you be inspired. Take care.